Hello, it's me again, Penny. And on this episode of Health Speak, we're going to talk about what you put in your mouth and a little bit about what comes out the other end. Yep, I get all the good jobs. Millie Smith reckons it's a great job. She's an accredited practicing dietitian who does heaps of stuff that I hadn't even considered. I will offer recommend to them to go and have maybe like a McDonald's thick shake. But before you put on your indicator for the drive-through, it's certainly not her prescription for everyone. In the next 12 minutes, you'll get some eating and shopping hacks, you'll understand why you might want to see a dietitian, and you'll find out what they actually do, which isn't this. They think that I'm going to be the food police. So really, I'm worried about what I had for breakfast already. (laughs) (laughs) They look at me like I'm going to tell them that they're not allowed to have their favourite food. I would never do that. But I think the first thing that we do is I explain my role to them because I think that takes that edge off or that anxiety off of thinking that they're going to be suddenly put on this, let horror say the word, diet that they're not going to be able to maintain. So what do you do? What I do is try and talk about small sustainable changes that people can maintain that will help them for long term. So you you try and make us create habits. You're a habit creator. I'm a habit creator. So much of my role, which I think people don't understand, is counselling. It's a really intimate role with a patient. You really have to get to know someone on many different levels to have an impact on the way they're eating. And I know we think of eating as such a simple one-factor thing, but actually our food choices that we make, it comes into a social context, it comes into cultural factors, there's so many other things that are involved and into play when it comes to our food choices. And as a dietitian, you've got to understand all of those to help a patient. So I get to work with them on a very intimate level. You'd be surprised how many patients come in and we end up, you know, talking about other issues that they've got going on in their life. The amount of tears I have in my room, and that sounds like a negative thing, but I love it when I have tears in my room. I love when people open up to me um, because it, when we talk about food, we're often talking about other issues that are going on in our life. If you've had other stresses going on, often food can be a bit of a Band-Aid sometimes and they come out and I love it. I love helping people in really simple ways. When are we likely to need to see a dietitian and, and where? There's many different reasons why we might want to go and see a dietitian. For newly diagnosed medical conditions, um, I always recommend, uh, you may want to get a GP referral first, um, but... Do you need one to see you? You don't have to have one. You can come and see a dietitian privately, but if you are eligible for an enhanced primary healthcare plan, then you will get a Medicare rebate on those sessions if you get that referral from the GP. So anything from newly diagnosed type 1 or type 2 diabetes, um, heart disease, things like a lot of our gut issues, so celiac disease, inflammatory bowel or irritable bowel disease, things like eating disorders, or for people who just want to make some positive changes in their diet. It can be as simple as that. We're here today in sort of private consulting rooms. Um, are people likely to run into dietitians in hospital settings or community settings too? Definitely. So I'm fortunate enough to get a little bit of a mixed bag when it comes to what I'm doing. So I do work in a private practice setting, but I also get to work out of two different hospital settings as well. Do we sit here and have a conversation about what it is we do eat 
Um, yeah. And are you sitting over there kind of ticking or crossing or, or judging? I mean, what, what's happening for you? Remember that everyone's body is different. So I think what we perceive as, oh, that's a really bad food. I know that she's going to be judging me for eating that. Remember that everyone is different. So some foods that we often perceive as being bad foods for another person that's coming into me, I might be hoping that they're eating. What's an example of that? Oh, that's a great question. So one that I think about all the time, I work with quite a few cancer patients. When we are going through chemo and radiation therapy, one of the major things that I get referred patients for is to try and keep their weight as stable as possible. We don't want people losing weight when they're going through that treatment. Unfortunately, what happens in a lot of those treatments is that a lot of side effects come into play that can really, really reduce someone's appetite, whether it's nausea, whether it's vomiting, whether it's just having a loss of appetite, whether it's taste changes, food can become really off-putting. All I want them doing is trying to keep their energy levels up as best they can. So I will offer recommend to them to go and have maybe like a McDonald's thick shake, really high energy, lots of fats. It's cold, so it's not going to, it's a liquid. You don't have to kind of chew it and really take a lot of time to eat it. It's easy to consume. It doesn't have a strong smell, so it won't exacerbate nausea. But people wouldn't necessarily come into me thinking that I'm going to tell them to go and have a Macca's thick shake. My prescription is thick shakes, more (laughs) of them, yeah. But, I I mean, that would be a very different conversation if you were talking to a type 2 diabetic. It would be a very different conversation. But even then, I think a lot of people think of food as really black and white. This food is good, this food is bad. But, yeah, if someone's going for dinner at night and sitting down to a block of, you know, family chocolate as a type 2 diabetic that's not going to be the ideal thing for their blood sugar levels. But if they're not allowing themselves to have any chocolate, they're saying for you know three weeks straight, I'm not allowed it, it's so bad, it's so bad. They feel so bad about themselves. All they crave is that chocolate. And then they go and have a block of chocolate. Actually, that's not a healthy relationship with food either. Good to know. So, <laughs> so I come in here, um, I, might, I may have a, an existing health condition, which is why I'm here. Um, we have a bit of a conversation about what I am eating, what else is going on with my body health-wise, then then what happens? Then we'll talk, I mean, the first question I'll ask is, what are your goals in terms of coming to see me? Is it to manage that condition? Is it to, sometimes people will have weight goals, sometimes people will have um, other behaviours that they've got in place that they want to tweak, or sometimes they literally just come in and go, I just want to take better care of myself, what can I do? One thing that I always tell my patients is, um, don't be embarrassed by bowel stories. I love talking about bowels. You poo. You poo. It actually tells us a lot about someone's diet. So how regular someone's going, whether they've got any constipation or diarrhea or any other issues going on there, gassy, any um, pain, anything like that is really interesting to me. So we'll talk through what their goals are and then we'll talk through what they're having at the moment If it's for a medical condition, we might talk through that medical condition and talk about how food relates to that medical condition. And then we'll just look at little tweaks that we can put in place and then they'll practice it and they'll come back and see me. Is it like a weekly eating plan? It will vary depending on the person. So generally I try not to put strict plans in place. Say for someone with um, newly diagnosed 
celiac disease. That's a good one. They'll need to go on a strict gluten-free diet. So we'll talk through some ideas for different meals. We might even go through some label reading skills so they can assess products at home and at the supermarket as to whether they're gluten-free. Then they'll go off, they'll have a practice of that. They'll come in, they'll tell me what challenges they've had for putting that in place, what they've found easier, and we'll go from there. I'd sort of pick up on the label reading skills thing. I mean, how much could we all benefit from actually spending a bit more time in the supermarket and, and knowing what we're reading on the back of these, these packets? And, you know, we might just pick the one next door and it could be twice as good as the one that we used to. Definitely. Label reading is such a good skill. Empowering skill. That's the word I like to use for it. When we look at the front of a product... The amount of marketing that goes into the front of that product can be incredibly misleading to how nutritious that food might be. And unfortunately, just because something says it's low sugar or it's low fat or something else, it doesn't mean it's a healthy product necessarily. A lot of it comes down to marketing or it might say the word natural on it or it might say the word whole grain on it. What we need to be looking at is that nutritional panel. But unfortunately, it's a skill that we don't generally get taught. I feel like it's something we should learn in schools a bit better. I think so. It is a hard skill, though. And unfortunately, what you look out for will depend on what type of product you're choosing. But little simple labour reading skills definitely should be something we should be taught at schools. Have you got a few tips? It depends on the product. My my hot thing at the moment, I love fiber. I'm a big fan of fiber. Really, really good for our gut health. So particularly with products that are our plant foods, that's where we get our fiber. So that's our fruit and veg, our whole grains, our nuts and seeds, and our legumes and lentils. With anything that hasn't been packaged, fresh fruit and veg, nuts and seeds, legumes, we don't need to read the label on them. We know they're going to be high in fiber. But for things like breads, biscuits and breakfast cereals, I call them the three B's, we should be choosing really nice high fiber varieties. Um, That'll help keep us full, really good for our gut health. And I aim for them to be above eight grams per 100 grams on that nutritional panel. So that's the thing. You don't go to the serving size, you go to the per 100 grams. So then you're comparing apples with apples. Exactly. You want to be able to compare an equal amount of one to an equal amount of the other one. So eight grams of fiber or more. What about sugar? Is there a number that you can give us there too? (laughs) Again, it depends on the product. I aim for below 10 grams per 100 grams. That means it's less than 10% sugar, but it's important to look at where the sugar's coming from. So if it's got a lot of fruit added to it, whole fruit, that's not the same as adding teaspoons of sugar into a product. So even if something with a lot of fruit goes up to about 20 grams per 100, I don't really mind. Any other hacks from a dietitian to, to just help us out? I mean, I'm doing you out of a job here because we'll just tell everybody in this 10-minute interview. <laughs> but anything else that's, that's really simple that applies to most people, and, of course, uh, do not take this advice as individual advice. This is generalist <laughs> in nature, just to make sure we're, we're – yeah, I've got a disclaimer there. For the general public, my best piece of advice and something that I tell so many patients is don't overcomplicate it. Healthy eating has become so complex. We've got all these superfoods that we've got to be adding in. We've got all these special nutritious packaged foods that eating regular meals, plant-based foods, getting enough veggies, 90, what is it? 94% of Australian adults aren't meeting their vegetable requirements. Simplest thing for reducing our risk of chronic diseases as Australian population would be to have more veggies in our day. 
Is it the most exciting piece of advice I can give someone? No, not really. But it's true. You just put more veggies on your plate. It's, yeah, aim for half a plate of veggies at lunch and dinner time for the general population. There you go, more veggies. Sorted. Thanks, Millie. If you want to pick the brains of an accredited practising dietitian even further, there are heaps of ways to find yourself to one. I'll put some details in the show notes, or you can just start a conversation with your GP. And in the meantime, perhaps we could all go and check out the nutritional panel on the back of the three Bs, the breads, biscuits and breakfast cereals. This podcast was funded by the Healthy Tasmania Community Innovation Grants through the Tasmanian Government. 